Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Morning, the reading is from James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Wasn't our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and he was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Matt. And uh, good morning to you all. Uh, it's lovely to see you all. Um, I've been away for a couple of weeks, and uh, so it's nice to be back with you. And uh, let me say uh, a big thank you in particular to all those who have uh, kept things going over the last couple of weeks. As a young Christian, I uh, remember more than one preacher telling me the story of Charles Blondin, or Charles Blondin. Uh, as he was probably known. It was, he was French. Uh, it was 1859. You may remember the story. The Niagara Falls. Blondin had organized for a rope to be stretched across the 340 meters or so from one chasm, uh, the chasm from one side to the other. And uh, the, the thundering sound of the pounding uh, of water at the bottom was kind of drowning out the crowds. It was so, so fierce. And they'd all come to watch him walk this tightrope across. And Blodin walked several times back and forth between Canada and, and the US. He once crossed in a sack, uh, once on stilts. He then took a pan with him and cooked himself an omelette in the middle uh, before going to the far side. 
And uh, then on the 15th of July, he, he walked backwards on the tightrope um, to Canada and returned pushing a wheelbarrow. And the story goes that after pushing the wheelbarrow over uh, while blindfolded, Blondin asked for some audience participation. He says, who here, do you, do you believe that I can carry a person across this, uh, in this wheelbarrow? And uh, the crowd were absolute rapturous. Yes, we believe, we believe. Uh, and, and then he posed the second question, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> and of course, no one did. Today, uh, isn't the first time in this little series in, in the New Testament letter of James we're calling real faith. It's not the first time that we're thinking about the connection between words and deeds, between intentions and actions. But today's passage really focuses on it. James asks this question as it begins. Essentially it's this. What does real Christian faith actually look like? What does a real Christian faith look like? James, it seems, a bit like Blondin, was very aware of the possibility of abstract faith. Just like the the crowds shouted their their confidence in the tightrope walker, well, so-called Christians might boldly declare their faith in Christ. Yes, I believe. And yet when push comes to shove, there might be no real life-changing substance to it at all. And so James begins, and although it's a question, it's kind of really a statement. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In fact, James didn't just call deedless faith inconsistent, as that question implies. He goes on to call that faith dead, is good for nothing. It is, to put it another way, no real faith at all. At least not the kind of faith that saves someone. And so I think James wrote this section of his letter to help his readers, his audience, and, and us today too, to understand what real faith actually looks like. And as we look at it this morning, I hope that we'll see how real faith must transform lives. Real faith is a faith that transforms lives. These verses, I think, will stir us to examine ourselves, to ask ourselves that question, am I actually in the faith? Do I have a real faith? But I pray also they're going to excite us about the truly life-transforming power of genuine Christian faith, that when you come to believe in the God of Jesus Christ, your life is turned around and get us excited, I hope, about the prospect of a life truly given over to trusting God. But we need to start a little bit further back. Why, why does all of this matter? The most basic reason why this question matters is really that massive reason there in the question that we already read from verse 14. As Christians, we believe we are saved by faith. The way that we obtain all the blessings of God, forgiveness, a living relationship with him now, eternal life, hope for the future, and so on, all of that is by believing in Jesus. Faith if you like, is the bridge across which all the blessings of God flow. And that, for those of us who know it, is absolutely fantastic news. And it can be fantastic news for anyone here or listening. 
The New Testament teaches it in lots of different ways, not specifically in this passage, but I'm thinking of Romans and Ephesians and Galatians. We are saved by faith, not by works. God saves us, not in exchange for the things that we do, not by our works, not by the list of our good deeds. And this is great news because, if we're honest, our deeds don't add up to much, do they? And if our ultimate destiny did depend on them, well, we would be worried. But it's God's kindness and his acceptance in Christ that saves us. So we need not worry. We don't have to live in fear that in the end we're going to get to the end of our lives and we're going to think, oh, I just haven't got enough moral credit in the bank with God to be accepted by him. We don't get accepted on that basis anyway. It's nothing to do with what we have done. It's to do with our faith. Our faith alone in Jesus, that's the thing that unlocks our salvation. And by the way, if this is the first time you've ever heard that uh, this morning, and, and you're wondering whether you heard me right, you did, I think, uh, and I'd love to speak to you a little bit more about this, because it is absolutely fundamental to becoming a Christian. But James's letter is actually written to those people who un- already understood that. They were already clear on that. And James was aware that, given that that's the case, if our salvation is all hanging on our faith, there are some really important things we've got to think through. First of all, it really matters that our faith is real. You know, if this revolutionary way of thinking, I'm saved by faith, not by works, is going to work, then I've got to be sure that my faith is actually doing its job. And it brings up other significant questions like, well, what is the point of living a good life? What's the point of good deeds anyway? If faith gets me saved, why do I bother? So here is how James responds to these questions. He comes at them three times, I think, and each time with a slightly different take, all leading to the same conclusion. Real faith transforms lives. Real faith transforms lives. And the first way that James explains that is by telling well, you might call a joke, except it's, it's an absurd story that it's far from funny because it's so close to home. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, I guess we can all follow that, all follow the theory. Here comes a friend, they're really hard up. We say, oh, I just, I just really hope things get better for you. I'm really rooting for you. But then we do nothing. They've got nowhere to stay. They've got nothing to eat, but we offer neither food nor lodging. Well, in that case, our actions make our words meaningless. And in the same way, for faith to be meaningful, it has to go together with action. Without the action, the words are frankly good for nothing. And in the same way, faith without deeds is worth nothing. So like the faith that says to Blondin, yes, you can definitely follow, you can definitely carry someone across, but then won't for the life of it get in the wheelbarrow. What does that faith even mean? That faith is actually no faith at all. To be real Our faith must be connected with our actions. I remember early on in my Christian life, someone explaining very helpfully to me uh, the 
the connection between Jesus my Savior and Jesus my Lord. You can't accept Jesus as your Savior, as the one who died for you, without recognizing him as Lord. The same things that make him the first make him the latter as well. So there's a profound logical inconsistency between saying, yes, Jesus, I accept your forgiveness, but uh, I'm intending to live life on my own terms. That just doesn't make sense. That's not meaningful. Now, of course, the fact that it doesn't make sense doesn't doesn't necessarily stop us from behaving in that way, and we, we all have that struggle. But that's what we're to see it for. Faith without deeds is meaningless. Real faith transforms lives, and only that way can it be meaningful. That's the first thing. The second example James gives is that real faith transforms lives because only that way can it actually be moral. And here, James brings a pretty surprising um, load of characters onto the scene, a group of demons. Let me show you, says James, how simply believing that God is who he says he is cannot be the long and short of real faith because look at the demons. Verse 18, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It turns out, and it's pretty obvious once you start thinking about it, that God's enemies, his spiritual enemies, believe. In actual fact, they have probably got a clearer picture of who God is. They've probably got a better theological understanding than any mortal. But they won't be saved. Far from it. They're bent on resisting God and will will face his ultimate judgment. And the example illustration here is to help us understand that it's what you do with your belief that determines whether it's real saving faith. Real faith transforms lives. Only that way can it be moral. Good. So to be meaningful, to be moral, faith needs to transform a life. And finally... Real faith transforms lives because that's mainstream faith. Jesus takes two great heroes of the faith. James takes two great heroes of the faith. And he says, look at them. See their faith. The thing that they were famous for. What you'll notice is their faith always changed their life. The first person he mentions is Abraham. Verse 20, he says, you foolish person, you Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, if you know a bit more about the New Testament you'll know that Abraham is famous for his faith. He's actually famous for being saved by his faith. And I think that's why James picks him as an example. But he wants to point out, look, you can't separate what Abraham believed from what he did. And he brings this example, uh, of course, referring to this moment where God commands Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Now, it's a bewildering, not to say disturbing, moment in Abraham's life. Remember, God has promised Abraham offspring. It's been a really long time in coming. Sarah, his wife, is barren, and then she's well past childbearing age. Finally, she has a son. She bears him Isaac. 
Finally, we have, we have a glimpse of how God is going to deliver on, on his great promises, how he's going to make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. But then God says to him, right, take him up to the top of the mountain and make a sacrifice. And here is Abraham's faith coming up against the cold face of life. It's very hard to understand how what he's being asked to do could be of God. And yet it's really clear that that's what God is asking. And so this question comes, what's Abraham going to do? Does he believe God enough to obey God? And it turns out, yes. And of course, God supplies a sacrifice. He supplies a ram. And Isaac is saved. And in that way, Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did. His actions were the outworking of his faith. And James goes on a bit more briefly to talk about Rahab, the prostitute. Uh, She believed God would deliver Jericho, uh, so she harbored the Israelite spies. She didn't give them up to the city authorities, and, and then she was saved too. Now, these are two very different people. One woman, one man, one patriarch of all Israelite, all Israel. The other, a Canaanite sex worker. But the point is made pretty clearly. The pattern is the same. We look at the lives of the heroes of faith, and their faith always transforms their lives, because that's what real faith does. If you really trust God, if you genuinely believe in his grace and power, that faith is going to make you live differently. So what about you and me? Does our faith transform our lives? Uh, The evangelist Billy Graham, he had a passion. He had a passion to win people for Christ, but also to encourage Christians into a deeper commitment to their Lord. And he had one of these go-to themes, which was the idea of a a Christian's faith on trial. So in the midst of his his sermons, he he would challenge his hearers like this. He would say, what about you? Are you a Christian? Do you trust Jesus? Are you following him? If so, if that's what you say about yourself, well then, how many people know it? How many of your friends and your co-workers, your family and neighbors would look at you and say, why yes, they're a Christian. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, I don't think we can ask that question in the light of recent events in Afghanistan and and not see it in a slightly different light. It's, it's, It's horrifying, isn't it, to think that right now, according to reports, the Taliban are going from house to house and taking away those who they hear are Christians. There is a great fear amongst the tiny Afghan Christian population, not least because under Sharia law, the penalty for apostasy, the penalty for converting from Islam to Christianity is death. I read yesterday of a family who had started watching services online and they were then reported by their neighbors because their neighbors felt that you know, they might get extra credit with the Taliban if they, if they shopped some Christians. We must pray for those. But still, this idea of if our faith was on trial, would there be enough evidence is not a bad way of thinking. We are free to let our faith shape our whole lives. But, but does it? I mean, bottom line, do we actually want it to? It's what I've been asking myself these last couple of days, and I ask you the same. If we were on trial for being Christians, would there be enough evidence to convict us? 
you know, one of the great privileges for me of coming to this church is to meet people whose, whose lives really have been profoundly transformed, recognizably different because of what they believe. And that's in people's choice of career or it's in the way that they handle their money or their ambitions for their kids or their grandkids or it's in their use of their spare time or their heart for the suffering or their heart for the poor. There are so many living examples in this uh, wonderful church family. That kind of faith, that is actually the only real kind of faith that there is. Real faith transforms lives. And in a sense, that's all there is to this passage. But just before we finish, I guess there's a couple of questions that I'd love to speak to because we may be concerned. The first question is, how much transformation, how much transformation is real faith supposed to bring? See, after reading all of this in James, we may feel unsettled. We get that real faith transforms lives. But we all know there are many areas of our own Christian lives that are still, as it were, massively under construction. And we're wondering, is that okay? What if I can see that there's an area of my life that is is not there yet? Well, I think the two examples that James gives us are really helpful. These are not perfect people, are they? Here is a prostitute. And here is a man who at one point in his life passed off his wife as his sister and gave her to Pharaoh as his wife to save his own skin. These are not people who had a great record. Real faith, as we know from the rest of the scripture and our own experience, will never result in perfect transformation, this side of heaven. But it will result in some. And that's what we're looking for. Some transformation. And you know, sometimes it's hard to see it Not least because one of the first things that changes about us is our minds. The things that we we would never think twice about doing before, now we realize, I'm not going to do that. When we first come to Christ, and as we grow in faith, often we feel more wretched than we did before. Not because we sin more, but actually because we are sensitive to the ways in which we disobey God. How much transformation does real faith bring? Secondly, I want, to, I want to live out, but what can I do? What can I do? I want to go out the door and change. Well, there are so many things. Being part of a church community, longer term, this is the great way to learn this life-shaping, life-changing transformation and to let it take shape with others. There are so many opportunities for service that you can come across here. I guess many of us today will be thinking, not least with all that's going on in Afghanistan, how can we, how can we act there? I noticed Tear Fund and uh, the Welcome Church UK have already started emergency appeals. I took some time yesterday to chat to Simon French, who's our, our mission partner, is a member of our church family. He works with refugees in Croydon, and he, he says he's already been involved in settling Afghan families even before these rec- the, the, the recent um, uh, change of government. And he made the point that whilst there will be a flurry of enthusiasm right now, the real work kind of starts months down the line when families arrive and their needs are very concrete and they need to be looked after. And perhaps let's bear that in mind. We have good links into the Refugee Day Centre and um, Natasha and others will keep us up to speed about what uh, needs to happen, what they need to look after people. But thirdly, what if I'm scared to change? And I finish with this because I think it does affect all of us. 
A faith that will transform our lives, if we're honest about it, is actually a bit of a scary prospect. What if the things that you say to yourself today, I cannot do without, you suddenly went without them? What would it be like to start finding ourselves diverging from our neighbors and our friends more obviously because of our faith? Will we cope? And here, as someone who's on the same journey and with all the same struggles as you, I just want to encourage you, as I do myself, the transformation that real faith involves is a different life. It is not the same as everybody else. But it is the best life because it is God's way. It is the life our creator has intended for us. And you know, we, just, we need one another to encourage each other to say, go on. Go on in faith. Change your life. Live that different life for God. And so as we close today, I want to encourage you, and please do encourage me in the same, that we would grow more and more in faith, and that that faith would express itself more and more in action. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that we need fear nothing. We thank you that it is by faith that we are saved. Believing in you, we have all the promises of grace. But we pray that you would give us lives that add up with that. Lives that make that faith meaningful. Lives that make that faith good. Lives that reflect the way that the heroes of faith have lived over all of history. And we pray that you would be the one who comes into us and makes those changes happen. How dearly we need you in our lives. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.